from today's lesson for the epistle, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. If we are to imagine our liturgical calendar as a door that swings two ways, then today, Trinity Sunday, is the hinge that takes us from one direction to the other. For nearly half of the year, that is from Advent until today, we have been focusing upon the great doctrines and mysteries of our faith, of course, the incarnation of Jesus at Christmas, his baptism and manifestation to the Gentiles at Epiphany, his life and suffering for us throughout the season of Lent, his death during Holy Week, his resurrection during Eastertide, his ascension during Ascension Tide, and just last week, his sending to us the Holy Ghost on the great feast of Pentecost. Trinity Sunday, in many ways, acts as a summation of all that we've observed and celebrated since Advent, which has been nothing less than this unified work of the Blessed Trinity to save us and to share his life with us through Jesus. This is why when we are baptized, we're not just baptized into the name of Jesus. We are baptized into the name of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Through baptism, as our gospel lesson teaches us, read by Father Ted, we are reborn into the very life of God for the purpose that we might participate in the eternal fellowship that has always existed between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Today, Trinity Sunday, is, is in many ways the climax of all we've been celebrating since Advent the life and work of God, the Blessed Trinity, for you and for your salvation. But Trinity Sunday, remember I said, is like a hinge, a door that swings both ways. It is also the foundation for the second half of our liturgical year, which runs from today until the very last Sunday of the year, the Sunday next before Advent. This season will shift its focus from the events in Christ's life, his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, to his moral teachings and how we should live out the divine life graciously imparted to us in our baptism. And so we rightly call this long season beginning today until Advent Trinity Tide. For everything we do in our Christian life should be infused with the doctrine of the Trinity. Far from being some sort of abstract theological speculation, the, the toy of theologians, as I've heard it called. The doctrine of the Trinity is the very source of your life and salvation. For it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we receive the grace of Jesus Christ and conform to his love and salvation, all to the praise of God the Father, your creator. Now, so much can be said about how specifically the Trinity intimately relates to our Christian lives. I mean, books upon books upon books have been written on the subject of the Trinity. But for this morning, I want to just mention one important point. In the book of 1 St. John, chapter 4, verse 8, 
a passage that we will actually read for next week, we find the famous teaching, God is love. God is love. The fathers of the church took this as a reference to the fact that our God is actually Trinitarian. You see, because how could God be love? And not just loving. John doesn't say God is loving, though that's true. He says God is love. In God's very essence, he is the essence of love. Well, how could God be in his essence love if there had not existed three things from the beginning? A lover, a beloved, and love that connects the two. To say that God is love is to say that he is Trinity. God the Father loves God the Son in the bond of love, which is God the Holy Spirit. It is to say that he has eternally existed in a divine community. God is, he is our God alone, but he has never been alone. God, the blessed Trinity, has been in community unto ages of ages past. In mutual love and in self-offering, the Father offers himself to the Son. The Son offers himself to the Father. And the Holy Spirit is the bond between the two. You see, when we are baptized, we enter into that divine fellowship. We participate in love himself. And we gain access to a true relationship with God the Father through God the Son in the power of God the Holy Spirit. God the Trinity is communal then. And he has made us, you and me, to be in community with others because we are his image. And so first and foremost, he's made us to be in community with himself. We fulfill, you fulfill, your created design as a human. What does it mean to be human? You fulfill that when you are in a loving relationship with God, when you worship him as who he truly is, the blessed Trinity. We see this in our reading from the epistle today from Revelation chapter 4, <clears throat> where John has a vision of the heavenly throne room. He sees the four living creatures which represent all of creation. They're the four corners of the globe, all of creation. And he sees the 24 elders, which represent both the Old and New Testament. The 12 patriarchs, the 12 apostles put together as 24. So all the world is present in God's throne room. And what is going on? These elders, these four living creatures... They are falling down before God and proclaiming his triune nature with the threefold acclamation of holy, 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 one for each member of the Trinity. The scene depicts the goal and the end of our life to join those heavenly voices and this heavenly anthem of worship and to share in God's love forever. For it is through worship that we participate in the life, love, and glory of the Holy Trinity. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, It is in the process of being worshipped. It is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates His presence to mankind. In other words, it is only through our activity of worshipping God 
that we come to truly know him. And I don't mean just know about him. That, that does happen in worship. All the various elements about the mass, the prayers, the calendar, the vestments, the colors, the cruce, everything up here is, is, is intended to teach us about God and our relationship with God. But what I mean is that through worshiping God, through offering your heart, mind, soul, and body to God, God himself invites you into the inner circle of his triune life. We experience his eternal love and we come to know in the deepest sense of that word, the joy, power, and grace of God. This is what it means to be truly alive, to be truly human. We often say that man is a homo sapien, a thinking animal. But I like what Father Alexander Schmemann says. Man is a homo adorans, a loving animal. Or as James K.A. Smith, he's a, he's a professor at Calvin College, he says man is homo liturgicus, a liturgical animal. We're getting a bit crazy, right? Both of these, though, the one by Schmemann and the one by uh, James K. Smith, they point to the fact that at the center of what it means to be human is not so much our ability to think or reason. That is, of course, really important. And it's what sets us apart from the lower animals, right? But what really, really sets us apart from any other animal in creation is that we have the ability to love and to worship and to liturgize before Almighty God. That is why you were created. That is your purpose, church. And that is what your eternity entails. Loving communion and worship with God Almighty. So many people I talk to, or maybe I see casually as I'm scrolling through social media, they seem to struggle with their purpose in life. They think if they can just get the right job, marry the right person, have the right number of kids, you name it, then they will have meaning and purpose and happiness in life. But what happens when the job is lost or the spouse dies or the kids move out? You're left empty because you've placed your identity in something other than your true purpose and calling which for each and every person on this planet is worship of the Blessed Trinity. That is the only thing, church, in this existence that brings wholeness, fullness, and true completeness to your life. Because in the process of being worshipped, God, the Holy Trinity, gives you his presence, his love, his grace. Now, of course, worship can be a struggle, Amen? Thank you. Satan and his demons do not want you to worship or experience the love of God. There is a constant battle against you to pray and to worship from the forces of darkness. There is also the weakness and fallenness of our flesh. We struggle to aspire to the heights of our purpose. We often fail to see with the eyes of faith the glory and beauty of worship. We easily get bored. I know, I see people who fall asleep. We easily get bored and we fall into rote routine. 
We'd rather be sleeping in on Sundays or reading a book or golfing than worshiping the living God. But if we can push through these hurdles by the power of the Holy Spirit, then we can find that every human heart, we can find what every human heart longs for, whether they know it or not, a relationship with God, your creator, your redeemer, your sanctifier, the great lover of your soul, and the one who cares for you more than anyone else has ever cared for you. He is waiting for you. Will you answer the call? My challenge to each of you this morning is to press deeply into worship as we move into the summer months. Recommit yourself to a personal and daily prayer rule. Worship God each morning and each evening. Maybe you've never really had a prayer life outside of Sunday service. Change that starting tomorrow. Even if it's only for five minutes, wake up, read a psalm, and then worship God. Adore him, give him thanks, confess your sins, and then pray for yourself and for others. Five minutes. If you could use a guide for maybe how to lead your, how to do your prayer life, then on the Narthex table, you'll find a guide to morning and evening prayer from the, from the 28 Book of Common Prayer that our deacon, Father Thad, has put together. And he put them together so that you would be able to open the book, learn how to pray, because sometimes we sit before the presence of God and we don't know what to say. That's why we have liturgy. The church prays for us and with us. I encourage you, grab one of those on the way out. Also, make Sunday worship a priority for you and for your family. Please, church, don't be a twice-a-month family. May God, the Holy Spirit, convict each of us of the truth that the most important thing any one of us can ever do on a weekly basis is right here, the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Here we entertain angels. We feast with saints. We commune on the very body and blood of the God-man Jesus Christ. How could anything else in our week, how could anything else in our daily routines compete with this? How could sleeping in on a Sunday or having family brunch out rank this heavenly banquet? But let us not just go through the motions. If worship is our purpose and calling, and if worship is where God, the Trinity, is revealed to us, then may we attend to the worship, the songs, the gestures, the readings, this sacred time well. Pay attention, church, to the prayers. Don't let them just go in one ear and out the other. Read the scripture passages with the lectors. Dive deeply into this service. For it is here that God meets you like he did Abraham, face to face. Brothers and sisters, the holy, glorious, loving, and consubstantial Trinity has made you for himself. O come, let us adore him. Let us fall down at his feet and worship him. And through this may we come to know more and more that he is good, and he alone loveth mankind. Amen.